Hello. Hello. How's it going? Okay. We were uh, trying a different setup with the camera, but it wasn't solving all the problems that we were hoping it would solve, so we're back to the regular one. Should we get a second <laughs> webcam so we can leave it? So we can have a more permanent fixture? Yes. <laughs> I want a permanent fixture. I'm just including people in the uh, development of this podcast. I don't know if we need a second one. It's fine. Now in our third no, season. It's only once a week. Mm. I can reset it up every time. Yeah. Okay. Winnie uh, is touching my foot and it tickled me very badly. Uh, what's what's going on? What are you What are you doing? What am I doing? It's, it's Sunday, mm-hmm. and Wizards United is like tweeting, and I'm like, "Why? It's Sunday, bros. Wait till Monday." <laughs> Everyone's just chilling. Don't you out. know this is a Wizard PhD day off from the game? Yeah, I don't play Wizards United on Sunday. Streaming? Just kidding. <laughs> just, yeah, you played, but yeah, yeah no. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's uh... Pokemon Snap got announced. Oh my god, the new Pokemon Snap, which I will definitely that was be hype. playing. That was a hype train, like crazy. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I love Pokemon Snap. I know. It, ca- it caused you to play the N64 one streamed a little bit. Yeah, I finished the game. You beat it. I got to Mew and I got a almost good... Almost had the perfect I almost Mew. had a perfect Mew. I should, I should ask my sister if she remembers if, how close a score we got when we were kids. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, you might have gotten it. I feel like you, you probably, neither of you would have stopped until you got it, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty regular week, I guess, you know. Did, you had some good streaming. Yeah. Uh, we're on the brilliant event. Mm-hmm. I think the big news for the uh, Wizard PhD fandom is the the, the <laughs> next season here. Fandom. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say brand. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The next season here. The next what season. we're doing right now. All right. Prisoner of Azkaban. Mm. Okay. I have only read this book once in my entire life. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> when I was a child. Yep. So details are a little fuzzy, although I know the story, obviously. But well, luckily we do the episode after we read the chapter, not before, <laughs> so it'll be perfectly fine. Yeah, so I'm just saying that I may or may not be more attentive to detail than I usually yeah, am. Yeah, it's hard to I'm tell like... whether it'll make you more attentive or less. Yeah. Hard to say. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, ready? I'm ready. Okay, one's ready. ready. Turn to page one, oh. the owl post. <laughs> Today's lesson is called Apart But Connected. Synopsis. The chapter begins with Harry Potter back living at Four Privet Drive, managing to study magic without the Dursleys being aware. Harry was recounting his renewed isolation from the wizarding world and his two best friends, Ron and Hermione, when he realized that a new day had started as he studied through the night, his 13th birthday. As Harry reminisced about Ron's ill-fated attempt to call him on the muggle telephone, He spotted three owls making their way for his room, Hedwig, Errol, the Weasley family owl, and an unknown third owl. What began as another lonely and uncelebrated birthday for Harry quickly turned to his favorite birthday yet, when he discovered presents from Ron, Hermione, and Hagrid. Harry finally goes to bed plotting how to get the Dursleys to let him go to London and Diagon Alley to shop for his school equipment. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, Harry. Short synopsis. It always Short starts chapter. at Privet Drive with yeah. him being sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so this date is, well, July 30th turning to July 31st, 1993, because mm-hmm. it's Harry's 13th birthday. Mm-hmm. 13. Special number. Um, so, 
my mind went down this weird rabbit hole because I was like, I was a little confused at uh, when I was reading because like very initially because he's like talking about how he's unusual, but like he want, wanted to do homework, but like did it in the middle of the night. And I was like, dude, it's summertime. And then when I read like, oh, we have summer assignments. And I'm like, why? Why are you assigning? <laughs> so what happened with my brain is I was like, who invented homework? Like that's, <laughs> that is where my brain went. So um, I Googled it. And you found something. <laughs> yeah, I found some, mm. some things. Douglas homework. Uh, no. Okay. So apparently mentions of the term homework date back to ancient Rome um, with the idea of like, okay, this guy named Pliny the Younger, or I think it's a guy, I don't know, an oratory teacher supposedly invented homework by asking his followers to practice public speaking at home. Hmm. Makes sense. Like, what are you going to do? Just gather every time to practice? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, be more efficient. Um, However, this thing that popped up and like why I I think I like reacted and then I like left the room because I was like, oh my God. Well, apparently this might be an internet myth. So this person named Roberto Novellis of Venice, Italy is credited often with uh, inventing homework in 1095 or 1905, depending on what your source is. But oh my goodness, supposedly, that's so different. <laughs> yeah, it is so different. Supposedly, like this myth is that this guy as a teacher, invented homework to punish his students. And so that's why I was like, yep. oh, my God. Because I was like, of course it is. Yep. But um, it seems that it's a myth and it doesn't really have any facts or evidence to back it up. But actually, <laughs> in the context of American schooling, mm-hmm. um, so there's this person named Horace Mann who was a politician and educational reformer. Mm-hmm. So apparently, like, he, um, I don't know exactly. Well, so I did read about a bit about his backstory. So he basically, he grew up poor and didn't really have, his school was typical of like many, um, Americans at that time where it was like a one room schoolhouse. And depending on where you lived, like you might not have had really good access to resources or Mm -hmm. anything. And so part of his story, I think, or why it's it's interesting and fascinating to read about these things is that so like he ended up um, getting a like leaving and getting a good education, college education, studied law, became a politician, traveled the world. And apparently like in his travels encountered uh, schooling structures that had required homework for practice. Now, supposedly, though, so like he, um, so the, 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 he was in Europe at the time and the political origins of homework was actually like the government trying to assert some sort of power and being like, oh, well, we're going to like make you do things at home Mm -hmm. that's like connected to the schools. And uh, because in Germany, he was looking at a, a compulsory public education system in Germany Uh, as a newly unified nation state and so it was like people's schools and stuff and so like this was like spreading like this idea of homework was spreading and so he found it or found out about it I guess when he was in Prussia or this is what that says and um, brought the idea (laughs) back with him um, in the United States Uh, and homework became a daily activity in the lives of students so he is credited with the common school movement. It was a movement in the 1830s that uh, was pushing for a tax-funded, well-developed state public education system. And I bring 
uh, back his experiences because like as someone who didn't have access to things like perhaps the idea of like oh well what if we just had like public education and like did all these things so of course like uh homework uh contemporary perspectives on homework is quite controversial but it's not new or specific to this time period there are fluctuations so it's uh you know, mandatory or mandating, like what is uh, homework as being seen as this is what we should do. And then actually periods. So when I was reading, it was like from like the 50s to mid 60s. <laughs> I read so much about homework. I'm so sorry. This is you so did homework boring. on homework. This is so boring. Uh, well, it's fascinating to me that like the term hum- homework is like the sticking thing um, mm. and used colloquially, like even outside the context of like formalized schooling, like, oh, I have homework to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because it's like literally work that Businesses you do at home do too, right? um, rather than like, oh, I have an assignment to do or like a task or just any other a mundane goal. word that yeah. you could use. It's homework, which of course carries connotations. So from the 50s to mid 60s, homework was kind of like an encouraged thing mm-hmm. in schools. Um, and then like from the mid 60s to like the uh, beginning of the 80s it was kind of like people were like no mm-hmm. no homework not necessary whatever and then this is why earlier what today, a time to be alive. i was talking to you about a nation at risk and all this so for all my mm. ed friends out there um notable sorts of pieces of um text that really persuaded or pushed educational movements and so um homework is controversial and uh it's just it's fascinating to see like how yeah, it totally should be. This wasn't where I ex- expected to go in this episode, but I'm happy going down it. I, I think homework, I've always had a love-hate for homework. Like, there are times when I'm like, I'm really glad that I'm getting this practice. But for the most part, I've been like, this is so stupid. Yeah. Like, there is a reason why you should turn on and off, that it, it can't yeah. be a 24-7 experience to try to learn specific things. Right. Unless you're, like, so motivated to do it, in which case it doesn't matter whether you have homework or not. So I think like there's a way in which homework is conceptualized as like an equalizer, right? That by giving people a lot of time and practice that they can, you know, all kind of be become better and, and, and remediate the, the differences. But uh, then there, I think in practice, it probably does the opposite, right? Yeah. People have access to different resources and supports. And so utilize homework as a mechanism mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to like the homework itself being somehow like just good by yeah. it, by its nature yeah. yeah what's fascinating is that like okay so the idea of homework as practice and like that sort of thing and connecting to this guy specifically being like oh look at these schools here like we should bring it all mm-hmm. back but then the pushback is kind of like well why am i doing memorization of like math facts like during summer break whatever right. whatever and so then like the period where homework it was like anti-homework pushing it away but when it came back it was re reimagined i guess mm-hmm. it's not really but it was kind of like oh well homework should be connected to the the home or mm. the contact like students and so uh when it, I, I read more articles about homework that i the chapter was short people the chapter was short <laughs> but just the and so it was connecting to the like you know the what did i do this summer type right. essays that are assigned but harry's writing an essay about like uh which a burning. legit question actually i like the way that it's set up because yeah. it's like discuss i've always liked those oh. types of approaches because it's very much like here is a historical or important idea like talk about it and you decide the d- direction that you want to go for it yeah it was even inter- though there seemed to be like a clear 
right answer based at least on what Harry was writing. <laughs> For sure, from the textbook. Yeah. Well, what was interesting is that I didn't notice before, but like the, so Wendelin the Weird hmm. comes up and yeah. like, well, that that is funny. Because I've, I've heard of her as a, you know, a person because she's, she's on a chocolate frog card. Oh, really? Yeah. And I didn't really bother to look. I mean, there's not really much about her. We basically get it all in this chapter right, right, right. here. Yeah, right. Uh, where she basically, like, she liked the sensation of, like, the burning and then using the mm-hmm. the fire protection mm-hmm. charm or whatever. It just, that made me laugh. But it, it seems like the type of thing that could be, like, a myth in the uh, sense that it's potentially, like, maybe her actual story, and this is totally off-the-wall speculation, would be something like she was kind of undercover in order to figure out what types of muggles, like what groups of muggles were sort of dangerous or more dangerous mm-hmm. to the wizarding world than others or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I like So the... she like did this as part of some other. I was thinking about this prompt a lot because like as JK Rowling, you can literally, it's your, it's your world. Like right. you're, you you're assigning fake you homework. Like right. what is the prompt going to be? And I thought it was interesting because I wondered if the point was to like connect like the this this topic that's like oh witch burning was a waste of time next to the dursleys who freaking hate magic and right. being kind of like all right dudes like right. what are you what are you doing like you're not really right, doing right, right, right. as much as the dursleys try to harm harry with their like psychological violence or whatever yeah. or just locking him away like i don't know did you happen to look into more of like if there are any other later descriptions of egyptian magic or ancient i didn't get into the magic the other magic uh pieces because it wasn't till like the end of the chapter when harry's reading the letters from ron and hermione and i was like oh man they're like traveling the world and harry's just stuck at hermione's like oh i'm changing what i wrote both of them yeah both of them said that i think it's a oh did ron say i think he said that too yeah i think it's a nice way of like giving us this depth i noted that one thing that she did, right, is she kind of, J.K. Rowling changed the the intro a little bit. So one mm, thing, yeah. I was going to name the title Same But Different or Same Same But Different. Mm. Um, but the first two chapters, the first two first chapters, so mm-hmm. what, however I want to say that, the first yeah, two books, first the way they books. start, uh, generally has to do with like Harry's displacement from the magical world or I mean not necessarily the first chapter but when Harry gets introduced to it it's like he doesn't I'm a what I'm a what yeah, yeah. Uh, and then like Dobby being like he doesn't know what to do mm-hmm. but then this one uh, she uses Ron as a way of leveraging that oh, Harry actually belongs more now or has a foot in two worlds like it's very clear that like the wizards don't know things about muggles like using a, a phone right. I'm yeah. our favorite both of us talked about how our favorite thing was like dad that. reckons that i shouldn't have shouted that that's my favorite <laughs> oh my just gosh great. yeah just so cute i love their friendship like yeah. i love harry and ron um like yeah ron annoys me like sometimes but i just i love how how pure it is and how ron just he just he's always there and he's like there to support harry and um the Okay, so this is kind of related, but off a, l- a little bit tangent, because I, I was thinking a lot about the Weasley family again, mm-hmm. because so Harry opens like the two letter or uh, Ron and Hermione, and then he also opens like the Hogwarts thing, which we can talk about at the end. But the other thing he opens is this Daily Profit clipping, and it's like of them, the Weasley family, 
on vacation in Egypt. And so I was thinking about, so they went on that trip because they won this like prize, 400 right. galleons or whatever. Right, right. And it brought me back to this idea again of like the, um, so even we've talked about this before, like, uh, magical world muggle problems or whatever are there mm -hmm. magical problems because like the weasleys for them to go on a trip like well not only are they going on this trip like the whole family all nine of them mm -hmm. but also they're gonna buy ron a new wand and so i was thinking again about like their care the way that other people treat them is like oh you don't have any money and like the hierarchies that still exist even though even though you have magic resources aren't distributed the mm -hmm. same and so I don't know. I just, I just I thought about that sort of thing again. Right. Yeah. No. Totally. The the framing of their even existing a very poor magical family is actually quite fascinating. I think to to add sort of these layers where you actually have the differentiation between the Malfoys and the Weasleys is m money wealth. Yeah. It's like that's weird. Like so, a little bit. It's a little weird mm -hmm. that that such thing is real. Yeah. So back to the homework thing. So Ron, Ron says in here that he like his essay is like two feet longer than. That was that was Hermione. <laughs> or, oh, it was her. Oh, sorry, yeah, that yeah. was Hermione. I was getting Herbins it mixed up. Never thing, mind. Yeah. <laughs> but the, Ron's was the too fact short. that like Ron on this trip has access to like Egyptian magical right. stuff. Hermione has access to whatever she French. has access to. Mm -hmm. And Malfoy, I don't know, like he can probably pay someone to like give him facts about mm -hmm. <laughs> or interesting facts. What does Harry have? Harry has a, a, a an ungrateful family who are muggles that neglect him. And mm -hmm. he's just, he's literally in secret trying to work on this like assignment for the summertime. Like yeah. talking about differences, like in terms of resources, like a wide range of disparities it's or... really hard to dislike harry in this moment at oh all like to, to think about like somebody turning 12 13 and he like trying to study by himself at like, night yeah as long as i don't get ink on the sheets and i'm just like oh harry let me adopt you my god <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's pretty You're devastating so sweet. okay do you want to hear about what i looked at yes i do or do you have more no keep going okay i'll interject so necessary. i decided that i wanted to look up communication in the wizarding world because mm -hmm. of the owl post and sort of the theme of it. Yeah. So I found this really nice Reddit post by a user named Matthew 16 and they were like a communication major or something and oh. decided to talk about communication in the wizarding world. Mm -hmm. uh, so here's a few different things that we could talk about. So we know about the owl post and there's details about like use of owls and stuff that we could talk about if we wanted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else have we seen? We've seen the flu network uh, for travel in the second book, but it can also be used to uh, speak in the sense without mm -hmm. teleportation. You just put your head into the fire and then you can speak and the person on another side could hear you. Cause it, so it's a little bit closer to like a telephone. A telephone. <laughs> yeah. Um, or FaceTime. We'll see. So this is some of this. Is, yeah. <laughs> some of movie. this is future looking but uh -huh. this is maybe more like facetime the two-way mirror this is something that um sirius and james potter used at some point in their lives mm -hmm. where basically that this person matthew even talked about as facetiming or skyping oh, yeah. so you have a pair mirror pairs uh and you can see each other in them and talk uh but they're believed to be very rare 
let's see, the protean charm. So we'll see this later on uh, in, I guess, the fifth book, which is like using linking objects to show the same communication. So there's like a master object and then like kind of like parent and child objects. So you alter the parent and then it, it transports that alteration to all of these linked child ones. So it's a way of like kind of secretly uh, communicating. And so Hermione sets it up where they use coins and she puts this powerful charm on them and she can change it and it tells the rest of the uh, group what she changes it to. Um, and then we know about interdepartmental memos, especially those that are especially at the Ministry of Magic, where they're basically charmed paper airplanes, which is kind of a fascinating idea. We have one somewhere. Yeah, you ha- yeah we do have some. Somewhere. Uh, there's a couple of, like, muggle styles. So you have the Daily Prophet, like, journalism. There's also radio that we'll hear about mm-hmm. at some point, the Wizarding Wireless Network. Um and then apparently also there's there was a television used by witches and wizards. In the early 1980s, the British Wizarding Broadcasting Corporation was formed. The project was rejected and canned by the ministry on the grounds of it being a severe breach of the international statute of wizarding secrecy. Who knows why? <laughs> and then uh, one or two other things. Uh, one more thing, I think. The Patronus charm, which we'll see used in this book but we'll actually see in the fifth sixth maybe seventh book somewhere definitely the seventh but maybe the sixth as well um tell uh communication via the patronus and this was apparently a spell a use of the spell invented by albus dumbledore Mm. and and held very secret in the order of the phoenix basically uh how to do it isn't widely known Uh, But it's an incredibly valuable style of communication because the communication is done by the Patronus. And if it's a corporeal Patronus, then you would be able to necessarily know who cast it if you know that they have that Patronus. So it's Mm. it's a kind of a encrypted text, (laughs) encrypted communication. So I thought it was kind of interesting to think about like Harry's isolation so far at this point, like. They try to break it with the telephone, but <laughs> basically it's the wizarding uh-huh. post. Um, and I thought it was just interesting to think about, like, the, this person, Matthew, was actually the end of their post was speculating about changes in muggle communication and whether those would get adopted at all by the wizards. And we've talked at length to each other about the Internet and Emails, what, text, what use it might social have. Social media. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the underground. <laughs> I just got my Hogwarts letter Instagram post. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, so that's it. Yeah. So actually, I think the I could be wrong about this, but so we have Hedwig, we have Errol, and then we have this third owl that just kind of drops off the Hogwarts letter and leaves. Right. I think that owl is the one from that brilliant event that one time where Harry's oh. like just an owl right this doesn't have any significance because i've been trying to make connections between the foundables for harry potter wizards Unite, the foundables and the like moment in memory like Mm -hmm. where where could this yeah it could be a random owl but is there a specific moment that uh, because the the entry is called like post owl Mm-hmm. Like that's what the foundable is called. Mm. So I don't know. I was wondering that might be. Well, I was also thinking like, so this seems to be the one that Hagrid. Uh, and I think Hagrid might have rented it. It seems like there, there's a uh, 
There's a postal service. Yeah, so there's an Ellery you go rent the on Hogwarts. Well, at Hogwarts, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But apparently there's one more generally um, where you can go with something to ship, essentially, and you like pay the owl and the owl does it and <laughs> comes back. Yeah, so you don't have to own the owl. Yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting. But it's a relatively uh, uneventful beginning. Just kind of setting up Harry, trying to... Yeah, I think that the end of this chapter is important, though, because um, I believe the beginning of Chamber of Secrets started similarly, where it was like Harry talking about how he's unusual or like this is, you know, another like reminder that his life is not typical or even comfortable uh, at all. And that's why he loves being at Hogwarts and he hates summer vacation. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the end... It's like the end of his birthday and he says like he he finally felt like everyone else, like Mm -hmm. happy that it was his birthday or whatever it was. And I feel like that speaks a little bit more to the relationships and the love that he is surrounded by, not Mm -hmm. by his family by blood, Mm -hmm. even though that's supposed to protect him. But like contrast that with like the people who actually love and care for him and protect him in the wizarding world. And so it's uh, it. I don't know. It just like stood out to me more this time of like, okay. Yeah, it sets up his connection, right? Yeah. That he's he's kind of less isolated in some ways than he has been in the past. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Well, good start. Yeah. Ready to roll yeah. on this book. Yeah. Not too much longer than the second book, so we'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then once we get to the fourth one, that's a, like <laughs> three like, times okay. longer We're than the second. We're going to have to skip the chapters. It'll be good. Yeah, we'll have to do two at a time. No, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, thanks for joining. Yeah. Until next time, Juan's ready. ready.